River kingdoms, a constantly shifting group of city-states, kingdoms and fiefdoms, rising and falling through the machinations of would-be conquerors, wars, assassinations, games of politics, and dangerous monsters. South of Brevois sits the Stolen Lands. Stolen from what and when are a matter of some debate. Currently overrun by bandits and monsters. Brevois seeks to aid in the establishment of new kingdoms, buffer states, run by anyone strong enough and clever enough to carve a kingdom out of the savage wilderness. Caelan Thorne, the mercenary who would be king, believes he is that man. Herein lies his tale of wilderness exploration, monsters, politics, romantic entanglements, ancient gods, and war. Heavy indeed is the head that wears the crown. Sugarfueled Gamers, in association with RPGMP3.com, present Kingmaker, a Paizo Adventure Path. Episode Zero, Part B. This is Episode Zero B, which will contain a little more background information on the alliances Stagthorn made in order to come into existence, where it got its capital from, the sort of people it dealt with, and a bit more of the background and the mechanics of how the main PCs are built and what it is that they do. You don't really need to know this detail immediately, so if you're not interested, feel free to skip on to Episode 1 and the beginnings of the actual play. So the venture capital... In Kingmaker, as listed, once the PCs get Kingdom, they get 50 build points to do as they please with. Now, we thought this was a little dull, so we had Kalen do some off-screen politicking, where I presented him with a list of options about all the different people that he could make deals with, wherein they would, the various organizations would give him a certain number of build points in exchange for some sort of requirement or promise from him, some obligation that he would need to fulfill either immediately or in the future. The theory behind this was as the kingdom grows, so too do the influences of the people who have invested in his kingdom initially. They're all taking their chance that Stagthorn will all work out in the end. So if you'd like to know who Kalen took support from, and in exchange for what, that's what we'll be covering now. So Kalen received 10 build points from the Sword Lords of Brevoy, though the people who initially sponsored Kalen's charter, and an, extra, an additional build point per month for an undefined period. Uh, they requested nothing in particular in exchange for this. What they're getting out of it is the buffer kingdoms that they required for their politics. Uh, some quote-unquote anonymous donors offered five build points. Uh, they were very obviously the House of Thorn, Kalen's father, uh, hiding behind some obscure donors so as not to be connected directly to it. Of the churches of the Ruby Kingdoms, Caelan uh, accepted a deal from the Church of Abadar. Uh, in exchange for three build points, uh, he agreed that the kingdom's alignment couldn't be chaotic, and that he would have to build a temple to Abadar within the first two years. Uh, they also offered him op- bigger options for more build points, but he turned them down. Uh, the Church of Phrasma offered one build point and a half-price graveyard uh, in exchange for the kingdom taking on laws about killing undead on sight and allowing the Church of Phrasma to do so freely within his kingdom. Uh, he took the bigger deal with the Church of Gorum, the god of strength, battle, and weapons. Uh, 
In exchange for 10 build points, he declared that one of his councillor positions, so his councillor, general, warden, marshal, or royal enforcer, all the more marshal roles on his royal council, uh, must receive formal approval from the Church of Gorham. If Caelan is ever unable to find a candidate the Church approves of, the Church gets to appoint one. He took two build points from the Church of Sarenrai, goddess of redemption, healing, and the sun. Uh, in exchange, his kingdom was obliged to make a to- an, an effort to entreat with monstrous races rather than just slaughtering them wholeheartedly. His system of laws is required to encourage redemption over punishment, and he's required to build a shrine to Sarenrai, but not till ten years is up. He took on an obligation to the Church of Aristil in exchange for five build points that he name an heir within the first five years of ruling the kingdom, which he did so. It's Tristan. Uh, and that Caelan himself must be married within the first three years of running his kingdom. Uh, something that, as you'll hear, proved to create a great many headaches for Caelan in exchange for his five build points. Uh, he allowed the Church of Norgabor, the god of spies, thieves, and murderers, into the kingdom. Uh, they offered him one build point, and all they asked was that their worship be legalized. Uh, he did so because he thought spies would actually have their uses. Uh, he took a deal from the Church of Caden Caelan, the god of freedom, drinking, and bravery. Three build points in exchange for the capital city building a tavern within one year of its founding. That being drunk in public is not a crime within Stagthorn, and that he has no dealings with the Church of Calistria. Uh, he took a deal from the Church of Desna, the goddess of dreams, travel, and luck. Uh, who Caelan has later find, found out used to go by the identity of Mab the great fey lady, the queen of air and darkness. In exchange for two bill points, they asked for nothing at all. So Caelan's just waiting for the other shoe to drop there. Of the people of the River Kingdoms, individual wealthy eccentric individuals, uh, he dealt with Lady Nanaya Valara, who built a noble villa for free within his kingdom in exchange for picking up two hexes of her choice. Uh, which Caelan has already given her. She picked a nice sauna Tiberia with a natural geothermic pool in it and a hunting preserve. Lady Nickel, in exchange for five bill points, is an eccentric gnome woman who asked for fey equality as a law of the kingdom. So all fey within the kingdom of Stagthorn are treated as citizens, as if they were human beings. Uh, Lady Nickel didn't ask for it, but as a consequence of this, she got given a position on the council. Caelan dealt with a woman named Jerabeth in exchange for three build points. Uh, any hexes Caelan finds with Elven Ruins are to be given over to her team to be appraised and documented for at least a year before they're settled, and Jerabeth gets to claim any one such hex of her choosing. Uh, Jerabeth is an elf and a patron of the arts looking for the new artistic movement elsewhere in the kingdom. In the factions of the River Kingdoms, Caelan chose to deal with the Children of the West, uh, these are a halfling organization that grants asylum to escaped slave halflings, uh, primarily from the likes of Caterpesh and Cheliax. Um, they gave him five build points, and because slave labor is cheap, they gave him half a single kingdom building at half the cost. In exchange, he had to forbid slavery within the kingdom, which wasn't a problem for Caelan. The kingdom's alignment had to be not lawful, and not evil, which in conjunction with the Church of Abaddon meant it had to be neutrally aligned, uh, at least on the law chaos axis. Uh, and Caelan is obliged to grant asylum to all escaped halflings, no matter where they come from, or who wants them back. Uh, Caelan dealt with a secretive organization called the Order of the Silver Twilight. They are a bunch of 
art merchants, historians, and archaeologists supported by mysterious philanthropists. Uh, they are a secret order. Their membership and, and the specifics of what they do and why is kept hidden from the general public. Uh, they offered five bill points and a half-priced theatre, exotic craftsman, or park in exchange for a council member, the councillor, the magister, or the treasurer, being a member of their secret society. Uh, Kalen actually nominated Tristan to join their society, which, as they were very intellectual, he was quite happy to go and do. Uh, the order is led by Christopher Rossi, who also runs the magic item shop within Elk's Rest. And those are all the people that Caelan dealt with. He actually turned down several other groups, including the Red Mantis Guild, the Pack Masters of Catapesh, uh, and Hannes Drelev, who offered them a fool's deal of 20 build points in exchange for an unclaimed hex every month. So that's where Caelan got his initial starting money. As you'll hear as this goes on, there's been a string of political complications, wants, needs and side effects of putting all these different groups in his kingdom. It's really, we think, bought out Stagthorn. Now, talking about the mechanics of the characters, we're using hero cards as hero points, and each of the PCs has their own hero, special hero card that represents something about them. Uh, getting that particular card enables them to get extra bonuses on their rerolls and things. Getting cards of that suit enables them to get lesser bonuses. Kalen himself is a mostly a straight-class half-orc fighter. Uh, because he wanted to have a string of skills to start with, he has a single level in Bard, and we gave him uh, basically a variant Bard that traded in all his Bardic music and spellcasting and all that sort of thing, such as Bards get at first level, uh, in exchange for a few little skilly bonuses and that. Mostly he wanted to have a small amount of knowledges and a handful of interesting skills before primarily hitting down straight-class fighter. He then is aiming at a prestige class called Knight of Thorns, which is a vaguely paladinist champion of Eristil, who gets bonuses to natural armor as thorns grow out of their armor, and the ability to do sonic roars and other such things. Kalen's card is the Trumpet, the lawful good card of Constitution. It is a declaration of power, an aggressive force that wades into the direst situations without hesitation in the cause of right. As to his four other PCs of sorts, the ones run by the GM... Uh, there is Corwin Steel River. He is a dwarven cleric of Phrasma, and he is a completely straight-class cleric. He is a battley cleric focused around being reasonably strong, reasonably tough, and just beating things up. Most of his spell lists that he usually rolls out with centers around death and fear spells and things of that nature. He is definitely someone who worships Phrasma in her aspect as the Lady of Death, rather than anything else. He is not a skilled character in any way, shape, or form, as Caelan has come to realise. He is grossly underskilled at everything, other than casting clerical spells and hitting things really hard. Uh, all of his feats are the Hero of Destiny feat, taken over and over and over again to give him a massive string of hero points. Corwin came down to the Stolen Lands as a volunteer soldier, for reasons that he's never cared to disclose to Caelan. He's had conversations with Caelan about how certain clerics of Phrasma, himself included, can see their own deaths coming, and he can sometimes occasionally see the deaths of others where their fates will lead them to. He claims that Caelan has the ability to change the fates of others. Keston Garrus was supposed to drink himself to death, but Caelan talked him out of it, and Corwin finds this ability both fascinating and sort of terrifying. Corwin himself is a very old dwarf. He is 350 plus in excellent physical shape. 
and has recently revealed to Kaylin that at some point in his past he's had a wife and seven different children. Kaylin does not know all that much about his background because Corwin simply doesn't like to talk about it. Kaylin does, however, know the first time that he met Corwin was when, in passing, he saved him from an attack by skeletons as part of his mercenary work. This was 10 to 15 years ago, and a fairly minor incident from Caitlin's point of view. Corwin's card is the Juggler, the chaotic good card of dexterity. It represents fate, the gods, or those who play with the lives and destinies of others. Bryn is a straight-class monk, uh, has her stats all over the place, as you would expect as a monk. She needs basically everything. Uh, she is reasonably intelligent and reasonably skilly, an expert at stealth, an expert at perception. Bryn has the track feat, and a trait that gives her survival's class skill, so she is filling in the ranger role here. She also has a feat called Hush that enables her to use her stealth skill for other party members she's trucking around with, meaning that as long as Caleb's there, both of them can be relatively stealthy. Bryn's background is that she was literally raised by wolves in the forest before being found by an Auroran priest, a gnome called Father Bravia, who lived in a small cottage in the stolen land. He brought her in, civilized her somewhat, taught her to read, taught her to write, taught her to behave like a human being, but she still considers herself as much a wolf as a human being. Father Bravia was slain by the Stag Lord, and Bryn was very invested in getting her revenge on him. Uh, she was very impressed by Kaelin, having watched him slaughter a bunch of bandits in the missing unrecorded book one. Um, and upon meeting him, more or less propositioned him for sex immediately, and he shot her down flat, which she took fine and just walked away without blinking. Where she came from, or how she found herself in the woods, raised by wolves, are unknown mysteries. Bryn's card is the Owl, the true neutral card of wisdom, representing the harsh and eternal wisdom of the natural order, the realism that causes a pack of wolves to cull the weak in the herd. Tragic for the cold dare, but through this the herd of wolves grows stronger. Tristan Thorne is a straight-class bard, and a very intelligence-focused one. He has lots of skills, lots of them in knowledges. Uh, his combat prowess is uh, centred around archery and the short bow. He's also a pretty damn good rider and is looking to invest in the spell Phantom Steed when he gets high enough level so that he can do all sorts of mounted archery tricks. His background is that he is the less favoured son of Lord Eldis Thorn, Caelan's secret father, and brother to Van Thorn, Van being the epitome of everything that an Eldori sword lord should be, and Tristan being a very unmanly, book-learned scholar who never liked to fight, never did a lot of physical activity, and never met with his father's approval. It's drawn quite a rift between Tristan and Eldis, and the end of book one ended with Eldis swearing that Tristan wasn't his son after he ceded the kingship to Caelan, and storming off in black rage. Tristan, personality-wise, is a very nice person who gets along with everyone, and trusts perhaps overly too much. Tristan's card is the Unicorn, the chaotic good card of charisma, a card associated with being a sort of generous person who offers up whatever it is that others seek. Lady Michaela Morag is of a fairly minor and obscure noble house to the north of Brevoy, and she has served for about 15 years as Lord Eldest Thorn's ambassador, troubleshooter, and general organiser. 
Uh, Michaela herself is a fairly secretive woman, and as a consequence, I've actually chosen to obscure her stats and her classes and that sort of thing from Kaylin's player in order to keep the character a little more mysterious. So you'll get the same information here that Kaylin has. Michaela is some sort of rogue cleric of an unknown deity. Uh, she dresses in a veil continuously. She carries a huge hefty tower shield that she seems very attached to, wears heavy full plate armor, and uses a long bow and a long sword as her weapons of choice. Uh, Skills-wise, Sense Motive is by far and away her best skill, but she's known to be a moderately skilled character in a variety of other areas. As to her class levels and her feats and all that sort of thing, Kaylin is in the dark and will remain so for some time as the campaign goes on. Michaela's card is the courtesan, the chaotic neutral card of charisma, the card of political intrigue, the mask that embodies social niceties that must be followed. It also indicates a woman of power who shapes the events around her. Michaela came to join Kaylin's party after helping him sort through all the various politics of the venture capital, making all these different backroom deals with all these different factions, and then was invited into a seat on the council, and became a full-time party member at the very end of book one. So that covers where all the kingdom's money came from, and a bit more background and information on the characters. That should be about everything you need to know, in as much detail as you could want to enjoy the game. If you have any more questions, feel free to post on the various forums and ask. Thanks very much for listening, and we hope you enjoy the podcast.